Thanks, Alyssa. Good morning, everyone. Hey, kids. It's good to have you guys in here with us today. We love you guys. So glad you're here. Excited to be with you. You guys make me smile. I love looking around, seeing all your beautiful faces, smiling. You older kids, too, I guess. Hey, have you paid attention to gas prices? Sorry, stupid question, right? Do you know what that national average is today? 460. California, it's over six bucks for a gallon. Some of you are like, I remember I could fill my whole car up for six bucks. A year ago, it was only 304. The year before that, it was 225. I remember when it hit three. Some of you, again, remember when it hit one dollar. You may pay attention to groceries lately. You watched your grocery bill just skyrocket. Five dollars for a gallon of milk. Last time I saw it. Anybody paying attention to the housing market? Tried to buy a house in the last couple years? We did. <laughs> Interest rates, we're talking about those going up again. They said that inflation rate was at its basically like a 50-year high, almost 10% increase in inflation rate. And it's no real relief in sight. High school students, college students, college decisions are coming up. Or if you're already in school, a semester just ended and another one's going to start this fall, right? Which means that the school wants their what? They want their money. Hey, parents, if you're paying for that, guess what? The bill's coming. For those of you who are thinking about this in your life, is your retirement going to be enough? Is what you've been able to save going to be what it, you're going to need it to be? Those of you who are invested into the stock market, how confident are you feeling? Those of you who run your own small business. I think I'll stop there. How are you feeling? Those of you who feel very triggered right now, you're welcome. <laughs> How are you feeling? A little anxious? A little, maybe a little worried? Maybe you're just looking at the fact that as inflation raises... Has anybody's salary raised with that same degree over the last year? Do you have enough? Are you worried about finances? And here's the thing. There are many, many reasons for you to be worried, it feels like. And what happens when you start to feel like things start to get tight? I think an uncommon reaction, very few of us, if any, feel that tightness and go, oh, I should give a little more. Naturally, when we feel like things are starting to get tight and we start to look at all the situations, look at all the concerns that have to do with finances and our stuff, the most natural reaction is to just tighten your hands on it. Tighten your fists. To not lean into the generosity of which we've been called to embrace as the followers of Christ. Today we're coming to the end of, it's our last week in a series called Blank Check, where we've been talking about the, the call on our lives as the people of God 
to embrace a life of generosity, an attitude of generosity. Generosity is not something you just box that you just check and accomplish, but it's a way of which it's a set of glasses through which you see all of life. And God invites us to approach every area of life in that way. Our finances, our time, our energy in the way that we serve one another, our words in the way that we encourage one another, our love in the way that we embody compassion towards one another our listening ears, right? Generosity is designed and called, we're called to have that be a mark of our lives. So many of us, though, look at that and think, well, that's probably because God is withholding from us. God is not calling you to live a life of generosity. In particular, this morning, as we're going to talk more about finances, yay for us, He's not wanting to hold out on you. In fact, as the all-sovereign, all-wise ruler of this world, God is looking at us and saying, hey, generosity is actually the way to life. It's the same question that Adam and Eve were, were asked in the beginning. When God gives a directive as how to live best in his world, the question is naturally there, is God holding out on you? It's the enemy wants you to believe from the very beginning that God is holding out on you. But in fact, it's the exact opposite. He says, this is the way to true life. It actually is more blessed. It is better to give than to receive. Which is a very different message than we receive every day, all day, right? All around us, we're being told the exact opposite message. That is, that if you want the best life, accumulate as much as you can for yourself. That is the entire goal of marketing is to show you the thing you didn't know you needed in order to be happy, or at least a little more happy. Whether that's stuff or investment, so you can see a number on your app on your phone higher than it was the other day. Because if you have those things, we're told, you will have a better, happier, more blessed life. This last Super Bowl, I was watching a commercial. You might have seen it too. And it actually startled me. Because in this commercial, this actor walks in, and he's among all these kind of movie sets, and he says this, this is what he says. He says, stuff. We love stuff. There's some really great stuff out there. What a great word, by the way. Stuff. But I doubt, he says, that any of us will look back on our lives and think, I wish I would have bought an even thinner TV, found an even lighter light beer, and had an even smarter smartphone. Do you think that any of us will look back on our lives and regret the things we didn't buy? And right there, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like an anti-marketing marketing. This is like an anti-commercial commercial. Except he ended the commercial this way. Do you think that any of us will look back on our lives and regret the things we didn't buy? Or the places we didn't go as he opens a door onto a beautiful island paradise? Same message. It's the same commercial. It had me there right up until the end. This is the message that we hear all around us. But here's what's really interesting. We don't take much convincing to believe it. Do you know how long a commercial is? 15, 30 seconds? That's all it takes to convince you that they're right. Oh, I do need that. If I could travel like that, oh, that would make my life better. 
You see, the pool of a human heart is towards that kingdom anyways. We don't need much convincing of that. You see, Jesus talks a lot about money. Unfortunately, we don't as much. It's become a little bit of a taboo subject. But Jesus talks a lot about money. But what's interesting is if you were to go back and search all of the times and places where Jesus talks about money, He doesn't just talk about money. He uses money as a means to talk about something else. Namely, what your heart is after and what really brings true life. You see, among other things, money does at least two things. Money reveals what you really treasure. See, here's the thing. You are constantly putting a value on everything, on a person, on a conversation, on a thing, on a value. It's subjective. Do you remember some of the things that you treasured as a kid? Anybody have a rock collection? How do you feel about your rock collection as an adult? It probably doesn't have the same treasure value. See, here's the deal. We think we know what we find valuable and important. We know what the right answers should be. But that doesn't really mean that's what you treasure. If you really want to know what's important to you, if you really want to know what you're putting a high priority on and what you're calling a treasure, look at how you spend, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, and how you spend your energy. And those three, thing, those three things will be a very clear map to exactly where your treasure is. That's what Jesus says. Did you hear it at the end of what Alyssa read? Very last verse in this passage. Where your treasure is, is exactly where your heart is. The second thing that money does, among others, is that it reveals and it even deepens your allegiance to a particular kingdom. You are always living in a kingdom that has a certain set of values and priorities. And one of the things that money does, it not only reveals that true kingdom and who is the king of that kingdom, but how you spend it deepens your allegiance to that kingdom. There are two different kingdoms at war, two different ways of viewing the world, and that's really what this passage is after today. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. But if you were actually here two weeks ago, if you kind of just either scroll up a touch on your device or look up a paragraph in your Bible, there's a passage that should look familiar because two weeks ago, Pastor Jin preached the section right before this, which was a parable of a man who was captured by greed, who, who stored up for himself as much wealth as he possibly could tearing down his old barns and building bigger ones to accumulate more stuff, not realizing that his life was demanded of him that very night. And in that moment, his stuff wasn't able to save him. It was going to be dispersed to who the highest bidder. And at the end of that passage, in verse 21... Jesus gives us a picture of this. Again, these passages two weeks ago and today's are really one connected idea. And so at the end of, in verse 21, at the end of that parable, Jesus makes a statement which actually transitions us into the passage that we're looking at this morning. And in that statement, he says there are two ways 
to view your possessions, your money, your stuff. He says there's a way of storing things up for yourself, for personal gain, to enhance your image and your reputation, to make other people impressed with you, or to increase your comfort and your pleasure and your status. Maybe if it's helpful to have an image, think of it as a tightly closed fist on your stuff and your money. This is for me, storing it up for me. Or, he says, there's a way that is rich toward God, if you see that at the end of verse 21, where the ultimate end, the goal of your money and your possessions is actually to be used in surrender to God, in obedience to Him, to His Spirit's leading, to further the kingdom of God, to love others, to bless others, to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, to care for widows and orphans in their distress, to be a, a, a tool in the hands of the Lord as you surrender yourself to Him. Picture that as an open hand. There are two ways to hold your money and your possessions. And as Jesus moves out of this parable about greed, He moves into another heart attitude, which is another enemy of generosity. Because if Jesus calls us into generosity and says, it's more blessed to give than receive, then we have to be wise and look at it and say, what is it that prevents us from doing so? What are the idols? What are the things that our hearts really treasure that prevent us from trusting Jesus enough to embrace a life of generosity, which actually is one that leads to life? Last two weeks ago was greed, and this morning is worry. Worry and greed are actually two sides of the exact same coin resulting in a lack of generosity towards others. And ultimately, they're not actually issues about the bottom dollar, but they're heart issues. You see, you can be absolutely broke and still be greedy. Greedy is not reserved for those who have a whole lot of money or stuff. Flip that. You can be filthy rich and worry. Both worry and greed have nothing to do with how much you have, but of everything to do with the posture of our hearts. And today, the invitation is going to be to align ourselves with the kingdom of God, with a king who can be trusted to provide for you, who actually comes in in his grace and frees you from trying to be your own king of your own kingdom, to try to be your own God and own provider. And the invitation is to learn to trust him. And the more we trust Him, the more prone we will be to live a life of generosity, knowing that He's got our back, that He will provide for us. Let's look again at this passage together. What you're going to see is three repeated cycles, which basically say the exact same message, but Jesus takes it each cycle a, a, a stage deeper, deeper into the, 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 the deepest parts of our hearts. And each cycle is an invitation and a call to something, ultimately to not worry but to trust. And Jesus provides reasons. He knows our tendency towards this, and He's gentle, and He invites us into something better. Again, verse 21, the end of the last parable, Jesus concludes telling this large parable to his disciples and says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
And then it says he turns to his disciples and says, therefore, follow with me if you would, down to verse 28. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body and what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they, do, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the, how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus starts out, he turns to his disciples and he says, don't worry. Now, I don't know about you, But in our house, we have a lot of conversations about how your tone says a whole lot more than just the words that you're speaking. How you say it means just as much as what you say. So the question is, what's Jesus' tone here? Don't worry! Is that the heart of Jesus? I think as we'll see through the rest of it, that's not Jesus' heart. It's gentle. It's a reassuring, hey, I know how tempting it is to worry about these things that are really important. But don't worry about it. It's gentle. He goes on to explain why. Because life is about far more than just food and clothes. And he goes on to give an example of each from creation. He says, look at the ravens and the wildflowers. He's using here a pretty clear argument of the lesser to the greater. He says, look look at the ravens. Look at the birds in the air. They have no storehouses or barns. And yet the Lord provides for them, doesn't he? And if God will care for the birds of the sky who He created, who are important to Him, but are not created in His image, are not unique to Him like you and I are as human beings, how much more will He look after you, a human made in His image? Yes, the birds still work for it. They still search for it. This is not a call. This do not worry is not a call to do not plan and do not be wise and do not have a savings account. That's not Jesus' point. His point in this passage, as it is in many others, is not actually about the bottom dollar. It's about our heart posture towards stuff and money. Don't worry about it. I don't know if you have a bird feeder. Kids, anybody have a bird feeder at their house? Anybody have a bird feeder at their house? That is... Of my bird feeder, I think I've told you guys this before, the bird feeder outside of our window is like lower S sacramental to me. Because every time I look at that bird feeder and I see those beautiful blue jays and those beautiful cardinals and a whole bunch of other birds, which I don't know what kind they are because I just don't know, but they're pretty too. As they fly in and they perch there and they eat 
food that they didn't harvest that is provided for them. And by the way, they don't need my bird feeder. I just like to bring them there so I can be reminded that as I look out that window, actually, let's be honest, there's usually a squirrel in my bird feeder. (laughs) That's when I open the door and send my dog out the door and see if he can scare it away. Because it's a bird feeder, not a squirrel feeder. But those moments are, are beautiful moments every single day that remind me of this truth. If you don't have a bird feeder, go get one. Put it in a place you'll see it. And let that be a reminder by God's Spirit to show you, I'm taking care of the birds. I've got you. And he goes on, he says, look at the wildflowers. Look how beautiful they are. Again, same argument. They're stunning. And they're only here for a season. But God faithfully cares for the fields that are grass and decorates them with beauty. God will care for you. And he goes on in the middle and he says, what, what does worry add to your life? He says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? What I love is the translators here have tried to make it in a language that makes sense because what is actually being written is, who of you can add a cubit to your height? <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I feel a little short, so I'd like to be a little taller. But that doesn't really communicate the idea here. Who of you can add a cubit to your height? Who of you can add an hour to your life? What can you gain, in other words, by worrying about all these things? And the answer is nothing. In fact, science has even proven that it does the opposite. It doesn't add to your life. It detracts to it. The only thing it will add is high blood pressure and all sorts of things that lead to disease. It leads to a shorter life expectancy even. But here's the thing, and I'm so glad this passage doesn't stop there, because at this point, I go, yeah, logically it makes sense, and I still feel this angst in my stomach. I'm still worried that I'm not going to have enough, which is why it's so good, because Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Look at verses 29 and 30 with me. He says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Jesus takes the conversation from what seems to be on the surface about money, and he takes it deeper, and he says, let's talk about what your heart is set on. Let's take his conversation to what it is that you're seeking. What are you looking to as ultimate fulfillment in your life? Because ultimate fulfillment cannot come through temporary means that you can lose. Don't put as center, as ultimate, don't seek, don't set your heart on, don't make the goal of life possessions, money, food. Why? Because they're not strong enough. They can't bear up under your weight. They cannot deliver. Pagans, unbelievers, he said, which is what you and I were at one point, ran after those things when you were your own God, your own king of your own kingdom. Can I tell you that worry is the most natural response if you are the king of your own kingdom? And here's why. Because if you're the king of your own kingdom, you know you're a fraud. You know you're incapable and weak. You can't provide for yourself. You can't meet all of your needs. 
You are not sovereign over your life. You can't control your finances. That's why we say we manage our finances, right? You can't control it. And so the most natural response is for us to be worried. If you're responsible for it yourself, you will always be afraid that you won't have enough because you can't control it. What wealth does, though, at any level, is it gives you this illusion that you can build a world out of your dreams, and you can control that. The problem is it's a mirage, and it's like a sandcastle. One wave takes the whole thing down. You are always going to be subject to the if-onlys or the what-ifs. But there's good news in this passage. You used to be the king of your own kingdom. You used to be worried because you were always looking out for yourself. But what does Jesus say? Your father knows you need these things. He says, you've got someone who is looking out for you. And by the way, this is really important because what we often do in kind of the evangelical church is we, we switch from, we, we want to resist the prosperity gospel, and so we start to embrace this poverty gospel, which is more aligned with Greek philosophy that says all the stuff in this world is bad. You shouldn't like any of it. And that's a lie, and it's dangerous. Jesus doesn't come in and say, you know, you don't even need anything. Not at all. You don't need food. You, don't, you need nothing. In fact, the less you have, the better you naturally are. Like, that's just going to be better for you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, your father knows that you need these things. Again, the point of this passage is not stuff itself, but it's our heart posture towards our stuff. And one pastor who said that everything you buy will either end up in a garage sale or in a landfill one day. And if you put your hope and your ultimate meaning in those things, if you set your heart on it, you're in for a disappointment. How do we know when that, types of thing, that type of uh, th- that happens in our world? Well, it says, do not set your heart on it and then do not worry about it, he says. He said, do not worry earlier, but in this passage, Jesus uses a little bit of a different word. Same idea, but what it literally is translated as is, don't be raised up about it. Like, kind of just picture your shoulders. Don't be apprehensive and tense about it, up in the air, constantly consumed by it. One way is that you can tell that you've you've moved into the setting your heart on it is your emotions. Your emotions can serve as a helpful check engine light in your life. Do your emotions sway with the stock market or with your bottom dollar? Does an unexpected expense throw you into a week-long tizzy? What we're not talking about here, just take a pause here and just say, as we have been talking about money, if you do find yourself in a place where you have needs, you're not alone. You are a part of a church. You are a part of the family of God that wants to meet each other's needs. At this church, we have a fund set up that is specifically designed to be a blessing to you, to your neighbors. If you have a genuine need, please come talk to us. 
Let us help. But what's your heart towards that? You're constantly anxious. What fills your, your empty space in your head, your empty thoughts? Are your, is it just possessions or house projects or investments or your business? Instead, Jesus says, seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. To seek the kingdom of God, one commentator says, is to seek, the, that, to seek this rule is to place yourself under God's control and to allow your priorities to be molded by his values and his purpose. Jesus is coming to reassure our anxious hearts and say, I am the king. You don't have to be anymore. Can you trust me to provide for you? This is an invitation to reject the message of this world, to trust him that greater possessions in life does not equal greater quality of life. The real question is, can God be trusted? Can he be trusted with my care? That's a harder question, but that's really what is underneath all of your worry. Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about this, and he, what he does to answer that question of can God be trusted is he does what our prayer is, becomes habit for us to do as well, which is to look to Jesus, to look to the gospel, to look to the cross. Romans chapter 8 says that he, the Father who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not, along with him, graciously give us all things. In other words, what he's saying is, if you want to know if God can be trusted, look at the cross where Jesus came and gave himself, had absolutely nothing. It's funny that Jesus is talking here about how we don't have to put our hearts on food and clothing because Jesus knew that one day he would willingly go to the cross where he would have his clothes taken off of him where he would be thirsty and hungry and where he would give his life as a, as a pledge, as a way of showing you, of demonstrating his love for you. I am this committed to you that I will provide for you. To look back at Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he says it another way. Jesus says, don't be afraid. This is the third time he says the same message. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. It's a phrase that's repeated all through the gospel. Luke uses it eight times, and every time is always followed by a pronouncement of good news. Don't be afraid because I'm here. Don't be afraid because God sees you. He will care for you. And actually, in this one, it's the, it's the last one that he uses. In the whole book, it climaxes here. It says, don't be afraid because your father has been pleased. It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you hear the gentleness in his voice? Little flock, I know how scary this world is, but I've not left you alone. In fact, I've given you the kingdom. Our generosity flows out of our confidence in God's willingness and ability to provide. He says, you've been given the kingdom which means that all the blessings that come with God's rule and His reign in your life are yours. 
Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This is a line that if we could just memorize it and repeat it to ourselves over and over again and pray, God, help me to believe, help me to live in a way that, that trusts that I have been given the kingdom. Because there are moments, for the moments where you try to accumulate wealth and use that as a means of, oppress, of impressing people, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Not because of how impressive you are, but because he has put his kindness on you. That you have a God who rejoices over you regardless of how much you have in your bank account. Who sings over you, who loves you with a love that will never fade. What more could you want? The impressive, whoa, look of a stranger? In a world of temporary pleasures, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, which is the only thing that will remain. For the moments where you feel entitled to have every one of your dreams come true, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, which is greater than any dream you could ever imagine. He's, he's given you a purpose to not have to use your money in, to be actually enslaved to it yourself, but to use it for his kingdom. For the moments when you worry about not having enough, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, which means that he has made you his son and daughter, and you are an heir of God, co-heirs with Christ. How much more will he not graciously give you all things? Do you approach life with that type of mentality? A mentality that is actually an abundance mentality? Or do you approach life with a poverty mentality? I have a friend I was talking to the other day, and his son asked him once, Daddy, are we rich? Maybe you've asked your parents that. Maybe your kids have asked you that. Maybe you've asked somebody that. How would you answer that? Because what's most natural for us to do is find someone a little wealthier and go, well, we're not that rich. And quite honestly, compared to all of the world and compared to all of human history, we are filthy rich. But that's still playing by the same game. What my friend said to his son was moving to me. He said, of course I'm rich. My daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My dad owns this whole universe. There's not a single dollar. There's not a single speck of dust. There's not a single molecule of oxygen that doesn't belong to my father. And if he chooses to give it to me, so be it. Do you see how that's a shift from just thinking in terms of, of our stuff and thinking and seeing life through the eyes that God owns everything? Now, I know many of you are studying here, sitting here thinking, gee, I didn't know Shep was into prosperity gospel. We're not. Let's qualify that. Because what America's contribution to the, even, to, the, to the Christian history throughout the world is the unfortunate message of the prosperity gospel, which says if you just have enough faith or if you just do enough good things, God's going to bless you. And the problem is how you define blessing. Because what we've done is we've twisted that 
We've twisted that into meaning that Jesus is now my cosmic genie. He's a divine vending machine, and his purpose is to please me. And what that does is that doesn't make Jesus God. That makes me God, and he is my servant. That is not what I'm saying. We have, we're very quick to do this. We're very quick to, to confuse our needs and our wants. Because when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you, all these things are not your wildest dreams. It's food and clothing. He's talking about basic necessities. He's talking about a posture of trust in our Father who is all-wise and all-sovereign, who owns all things. What's amazing is as we seek him, as he becomes the treasure of our hearts, we become content with however he wants to provide. Because what you and I can see in this world, even just our own lives, is the smallest of slivers. And the question is, can you trust a God who sees the beginning from the end, who knows the deepest desires of your heart and knows that money itself can't satisfy, but only he can? Do you trust that when he gives you something, he's not giving it to you for your own end, but for the purpose of glorifying himself and making himself known in this world? We're very quick to point out at younger generations a sense of entitlement, but do you realize that we have the same blood flowing through our veins? Oftentimes we feel disappointed and we feel like we don't trust God because He didn't meet our expectations. The problem is He never promised to do that in the first place. According to His wisdom, He will provide for you. The question is, will you be content with what He provides? Will that mean a change in your lifestyle? Maybe. Actually, as a rule of thumb, you ought to give so that it adjusts your lifestyle. You ought to purposely put yourself in a place where you cannot do everything you want because you've built generosity into your life at such a degree. It's one of the ways that we reinforce and we take an act of faith to say, Jesus, I want to give as a means of saying, I don't want to trust in this stuff. Jesus invites us to give up our lives, to follow him That passage I quoted earlier, Romans 8, 17 says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. So many of us just want the glory. We don't want to walk the path that Jesus walked, where Jesus is the one who fully embodied a life that says it is better to give than receive, and He gave all. Because on the other side of death, on the other side of sacrifice is resurrection. And one day, you will inherit the earth. All things are God's. And you belong to Him. Your dad is rich. Why worry? If He wants to give you something, He will. He will care for you. And so the natural response then, Luke 12, verses 33 and 34, is this. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Jesus telling you to sell all of your possessions? I know you're sitting here waiting for me to just say no and let you off the hook, but here's the real answer. I don't know. 
Is he asking you to sell some of your stuff? I don't know. Here's what Jesus is addressing. Live open-handed. Trust that I will care for you. When you feel the temptation to tighten your fist on your stuff, open it wider as an act of faith. It says, Jesus, you have promised to care for me. You have promised to meet my needs. You have promised that one day when you come and renew and restore this whole world, that I'll be with you. But Jesus, actually, you are the greatest treasure. You are the one I want to follow. You are the one I want to seek. And the invitation is to provide purses for yourself that cannot be touched which is a way of approaching your stuff and your money and your possessions open-handedly before the Lord to say, Lord, how would you have me to use this? And listen. And step in faith so that if he asks you to sell your possessions, your answer is yes. You've signed that blank check to say whatever you want, God. It's actually yours anyways. I belong to you. And that will look different for every single one of us. But again, Jesus this whole time has not been necessarily telling you the bottom line. He's been addressing the bottom issues of our heart. You have a king, and you are not the king. You don't have to worry about providing for yourself. You have a king who has promised to care for you, who sees your every need and is all wise and knows exactly what you need. The question is, Will you trust him? And here's the beautiful thing. In the moments, whether it's right now or it's later on when a bill arrives that you weren't expecting, that faith is going to be tested. And you're probably going to fail it. And you're going to hear from Jesus, don't worry, you of little faith. Look to the ravens. Look to the wildflowers. Let me care for them, and let me care for you. Will you trust me? And I don't know about you, but in those moments, my answers are very much like a man in Mark chapter 9, who's my hero in the Bible. When Jesus looks at him and says, anything is possible for the one who believes, and his answer is, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. That's our prayer now. Let's pray together. Father, you own everything. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And you have already guaranteed and showed us that you will care for us, that you will provide for us. You've shown us the depth of your love for us. And yet we're so quick to doubt. We are those of little faith. Would you help us today to not be afraid? Would you help us grow in contentment? Would you help us to grow in trust and confidence that you will provide for us? Would you help us to see exactly what our needs are and what our wants are? And would you change us? Would you meet us? Make us more confident in who you are. Make us more trusting that you will provide for us. And as a result, you will make us a more generous people. We want to reflect your generosity to the world around us. Father, help us. We know that you will. 
we know that you who began this good work in us will bring it to completion, that one day we will stand before you without a drop of worry in our hearts. Lord, make that true of us today. Increase our faith. Make us a people who are generous for the sake of the world and for your glory so that all men might know that, Jesus, you are good and you are Lord. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.